We know that this episode is long, long overdue, and despite all of the technical and audio issues that we had with Zoom, we still felt that the information and the stories shared in this could really help someone who may have not even got a chance to celebrate Pride because maybe they're still struggling with their own issues. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hey guys, and welcome back to Friends, Acquaintances, and Everybody Else, a millennial podcast hosted by two women of color set out to spark conversations of change on everything from careers, creativity, spirituality, love, and wellness. And while sometimes we may disagree, we at least hope to change a few minds about a couple of things. For Pride Month, we have a special episode where we're going to be interviewing a close friend, Eddingston Middleton, to gain his insight about what it was like being a gay immigrant and how it's affected his life. I'm your host, Kadian, and I'm super excited to get into this Pride episode with you guys. And I'm Alexis, and I feel like I've reached a new level of enlightenment. Oh, enlightened are we? (laughs) All right, let's get into it. We have a special guest for our special Pride episode. Um, I know him personally, and I'm so happy that Alexis finally gets a chance to meet him. He's very near and dear to me. I would let you introduce yourself because I don't know if you want to be called by like your full government or you just want to be called by your nickname. Hello, everyone. I am Eddington Middleton, or Eddie. I'm a proud Black immigrant from the country of Belize in Central America. So I fall into many categories, Black, Belizean, Creole, Afro-Latino, um, I presently work in property management, but previously I was in fashion. Ooh. Fashion is still my passion, but for now, my nine to five is in property management. All right. Okay. <laughs> I will go ahead and let you start, Alexis, so you could uh, warm up and get to know him a bit. Okay. So now that you've told us a little bit about yourself, I, my first question is, do you have a coming out story? And would you share it with us if you did? Um, I wouldn't say that I have a coming out story per se. Okay. Um, technically, a story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Oh, okay. <laughs> and my coming out has no end. All right. Like, I'm endlessly coming out mm-hmm. to people, like, from the past mm-hmm. and to extended family or whoever. Mm. Okay. Um, so... For me, I've always presented myself more on the feminine spectrum. Mm-hmm. So people automatically label you in that presentation. Um, so to be honest, I just had confirmation stories. Okay. Um, confirming to people um, what they already felt or, sus- or suspected. Okay. 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 I could... I I definitely had a few friends like that in high school where like they never had to say it, but I was like... It's all right, boo. I know. You good. You don't got to say anything. Yeah. Um, Because for some of us, Mm -hmm. we don't have the choice if we're not straight presenting. Because when you're straight presenting, you could hide behind that facade because, you know, straight people don't need to come out. Mm. So when you're straight presenting, they assume that you're straight and you have a girlfriend, Mm -hmm. you know, while maybe deep down you're you're gay, but you're straight presenting. So they don't categorize you. But for some of us boys who are more feminine presenting and have a more feminine disposition and look and long eyelashes and very fine features, it's hard for us to choose that um, high mm-hmm. without people already categorizing you. So it's harder for some of mm-hmm. us. 
Um, and for me, it was just confirming. Um, like, for example, it was never like a declaration. It's more like um, it was never a formal declaration when confirming to individuals from the past who suspected. <laughs> it just comes out like anecdotally. <laughs> like, um, for example, like I remember having a discussion with some of my ex-classmates and from high school. Mm-hmm. And one of them were discussing about if, you know, when we get married and if we will force our wives to take our, our surname. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, well, when and if I get married, I'm not taking my husband's name or we may we may agree to hyphenate. Oh, came in with the correction. That was confirmation. Okay. For my younger siblings and growing up with them, I always explained that I was different. Um, I didn't even figure out myself, so I didn't have a clear-cut description mm-hmm. of what the difference was when I was telling them I was different. I left home at 16. Um, That's what I was curious about, because you are, you know, from the Caribbean as well, yeah. and things are a little different down there. Because I, I left Belize at 19, but before I went to live in the city when I was 16, um, so mm-hmm. I didn't have a clear-cut mm-hmm. description of what the difference was when I was doing today was different. Um, and I, there was no tearful declaration when I, when we grew up and especially now with me and my sister, when we were formulating an adult relationship, all I can remember is one time we went to a resort together, um, as adults and she kept telling me and asking me like, why is the bartender yeah. looking yeah. over you, looking over here, looking at you? And I was like, because he wants a piece. He wants a piece. <laughs> and I laughed and she <laughs> laughed and we moved on because it was nothing, I guess, foreign to her because I was, I'm the same person that she grew up with. I'm the brother that she grew up with. Um, so it was nothing that was a formal de- um, declaration that was needed or necessary. Um, for me to confirm or have a, a crying mm-hmm. session with her. Um, when it comes to my mom, I'll, I'll put it this way when it comes to moms. Um, I choose to take her imperfect love and give my own imperfect love in return. Um, I choose to live in the reality that she has painted for me mm-hmm. and I will leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, then, speaking of, like, family and even, like, professionalism, how has your, I guess, sexual orientation or, like, sexuality, how has that, like, affected your work environment then? Has it affected it? Definitely there is biases with being gay while working in in, in the fashion Mm -hmm. industry. And I must correct that and say being feminine presenting Mm -hmm. um, and a person of color Mm. It's definitely biases oh. that you face working in the industry. Wow. So you're telling me you just you being black automatically is like one of the hardest things to deal with there. Um, I was lucky going into fashion because it's always been an industry that afforded um the outsiders and virtual include gay people and people of different races and you know, just say queer people. Um Afforded the queer people to bring their entire selves to work. However, um, being that racism affects all facets of our black lives under the, under the system, systematic construct, biases, unconscious or conscious, still permeates in this industry. Can you like tell a little bit more about that? For me, it was a triple fight because mm. 
first I got the face to racism, then the xenophobia, then the homophobia. Um, and so as a black immigrant and gay person, you sit at the side and see your white counterparts and being celebrated, mm-hmm. getting the promotion, being mentored more. Um, and definitely that takes a toll on you as a, as a creative in this industry where sometimes your, your creativity is being stolen and taken and adopted and, and, um, let's say stolen, um, after you are, you are spearheading the creativity, you're feeding their creativity machine in the background. You would think that in the fashion industry, though, seeing as how if there's any kind of uh, like work environment or social environment that tends to really try to push people to just be confident in who they are and represent whatever, it would be more so in the fashion industry than in the corporate world. I don't know. That's real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you said you kind of just had like the confirmation and not the coming out. Um, but were there any difficult conversations you maybe had with family members? I would say the most difficult conversation I had was with myself. Um, oh. And this was like a very young age. I was like around the age of eight. And a lot of the boys that were like me were abandoning that those actions. Mm. And they were starting to turn and become more macho because I feel like maybe in their families, they were facing the same pressures like I was, where your family Mm. started to recognize that your actions is really turning now into Mm -hmm. not a phase anymore, but more of a lifestyle. Mm. And that's shun upon. And even if your parents were open to you to be yourself and be free they know that how they can guard you from the community and from when you grow up in a small community a small religious community um where has so much hypocritical um things going on anyways they know they can't shield you from the outside world so you get that internal pressure from your family from cousins from your parents um to change you know they they try to beat it out of mm. you they try to match wow. you up they try to put you in, in more sports and games and I had to have that difficult conversation if I was going to remain true to myself right. and just be me and just take on the the, the teasing because the teasing definitely intensified at that age um for me this around the same time I discovered Mariah like Carrie, the singer? Yes, Mariah Carey. <laughs> yes, my savior. Your savior here. <laughs> okay, go on. I just wanted okay. to make sure something go on. That's why she's the best-selling female artist. And she's helped a lot of boys. I saw the rolling of the eyes, Canyon. <laughs> Leave Mother Christmas alone. <laughs> she delivered. She delivered us. <laughs> Mariah, when you hear this. <laughs> That Mariah Carey, she delivered oh me in a way because her lyrics to her music was like speaking to me. And that's why she has such a great, a big following and a big gay following because her music of struggling and overcoming resonated so much with me. And again, okay. eight, nine years old, 
I had to be thinking about survival. I had to be thinking about how I could survive and navigate this world that is telling me that I was not made in his image and that I was not born right. Um, And Mariah's Make It Happen and several of her other Mm -hmm. records was right there to deliver me and to just keep me safe. Um, And I also created a fantastical reality in order for me to survive. I just went into my books. I I told stories and draw dresses for my brothers and my brother and sister I told them these elaborate Aww. stories and read my encyclopedias and all these storybooks that my mom had who was an educator um and mm-hmm. just delve and just like float away into this fantastical mm-hmm. reality so I could have keep my sanity I, and when I tell you more it's very important because sometimes people be like Mariah but her words when you hear someone singing and telling you they can try but they can't take the light away from you, that is important when you don't have no one else to tell you that. So, yeah, bigs up to Mariah. Mm-hmm. She gets all props. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah, when you hear this. <laughs> all right. Aww. So, I know that you said um, your aunt was like, like get over it so my next question is what do you say to those people that are like it's just a phase you'll get over it they need to stop trivializing the emotions of younger people absolutely Mm -hmm. because I was well aware from the age of five that I was different okay and you try because you hear all of these scriptures and you're like damn so am I made wrong why am I not feeling this, you know, mm-hmm. when you're 10 and 11 and you enter high school and you're like, mm-hmm. why don't I want to kiss that girl? She's pretty, but what's mm-hmm. wrong with me? What, what's not working? But the same feeling that I had at six, seven, and eight is the same feeling I had at 10, 11, and 12. Right. The mm-hmm. feeling even grows stronger at 16, 17, and 18. Cause you ain't heat, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> and so they need to start listening to their kids because yes. kids are a, a lot more intelligent than they think. And mm-hmm. the experiences that we feel are a lot more stronger than they want to. Believe, yeah, or believe. Yeah. So they need to stop trivializing emotions from young kids. All right, so we're gonna get a little messy now. Uh, <laughs> do you think that straight relationships are different than queer ones? And if so, or if not, why? I haven't had a real long-term relationship per se. Um, so some people may discredit my opinion on this topic or even strip me of that badge of honor. Um, but this is a hard one because okay. how can we quantify what is better? Okay. Um, I mean, okay. because all relationships are different and on both sides of the aisle, healthy and unhealthy relationships, relationships okay. exist. And especially since there are a lot of heteronormative standards are now being placed mm-hmm. on queer unions. 
So for me, I feel like mm-hmm. all relationships are different mm-hmm. and across the board, they're healthy and, and uh, unhealthy relationships. So I feel like um, relationships that involves love, support, mm-hmm. honesty, trust, respect, mm-hmm. and open communication will trump any type of relationship that is based on toxicity, control, insecurity, and dishonesty. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So I don't think that one is better than the other because both healthy and unhealthy Mm -hmm. um, relationship exists on both sides of the aisle. So I would not say that any relationship is different heterosexual or gay and especially now in today's day because in today's time a lot of heteronormative societal pressures are being put on gay people which is odd i think that because okay like the non-hetero relationships are already non-traditional that they wouldn't get those same pressures because they're already like a whole new scope of their own thing but I guess. Oh, no, no, no. It was back then. This time, no. When you say you're gay, they ask if you have a boyfriend. Mm. Are you going to get married? Or you have a husband? Or do you have, are you going to have kids? So same shit, different story. Gotcha. Interesting. So now, relationships, like I said, is, to me, is based on it not being not not toxic Mm. and abusive. Because it, it's across all everywhere. Mm. It's everywhere. So I don't think there is a difference. It's because all relationship is different. Okay. All right. All right. So then my last question is um, the LGBTQ community has like this ridiculous influence on white America um, and how they use their verbiage or our slang, right? Um, So how do you feel about Gen Z claiming it as, their own language or their vernacular as Kadian likes to use. <laughs> all of a sudden they're watching RuPaul Drag Race and now all these white kids are saying hunty. <laughs> okay. Gen Z's are a very special and a little more lucky generation. Um, due to them having better representation and readily, readily mm. accessible mm-hmm. information at their fingertips. So they were able to see themselves and get educated um, mm-hmm. on how to identify themselves a little bit earlier and better than some of the older generations, mm. um, especially for us geriatric millennials like myself and the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So um, with all of this quick accessibility, of course, they will have a quicker understanding and be more confident within themselves. And whenever you have better understanding and confidence and education on a certain topic, you tend to want to own it. And you, you start to have this very egotistical mm-hmm. view of certain things and therefore then mm-hmm. appropriating and taking mm-hmm. on and <laughs> owning certain slang that's been around for some time. Um, it's not shocking. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the, the time that they grew up in. Um, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you this, the history is not lost. Mm -hmm. The history is being, the correct history is being taught and it's also being televised and channeled to certain, um, popular television shows. So 
the originators of these slangs will be um will be told and they will get their due flowers. So I'm not bothered by Gen Z's um appropriating and taking over certain slangs. Um but Gen Z's influence are far reached and in everything they are appropriating today. So uh, it's not something that's shocking. So we have about five more minutes. If there is anything that you would like to leave with the audience and make sure they know, what would it be? The other day, being that this is Pride Month and I was at, at, at a session at my job and this quote was um, shared with one of the speakers that we had. And it said, if I wait for someone else to validate my existence, it will mean that I'm shortchanging myself. And it's from Zanelli Mohuli, who is a South African activist and artist. Um, saying that, I want to tell the um, mm-hmm. your, our, your listeners mm-hmm. that how it gets better. I've lived in New York since I was 19, and I think I'm on my fifth chapter. And every chapter, it has gotten better. Um, and it's hard work because you have to you have to willfully work on yourself to make it better, but you must also learn to love yourself first. Lead with love, mm-hmm. and it gets better. It will be my closing statement. Amen. Oh, I like that. That's like Nipsey Hustle. The marathon continues. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dope. We made it. Yay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs>